Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast for the last time in Season 2 covering Link's Awakening. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined as always by my my ever-present, mostly... Mostly uh, present. De- dependable, <laughs> entertaining... Semi-dependable. Definitely look, de- definitely entertaining, yes. Yeah. That, that one's true. Um, yeah, my... my Snarky. My professional uh, tail spinner at this point in the podcast absolutely yeah no, that's fair co-host matt willoughby how you doing matt oh i'm fantastic Lyndon. it is our last day in coholent the island has already disappeared from the physical realm if it ever was even in the physical realm but uh we're here and we're gonna talk about it and we're gonna talk about the friends we made along the way friend game is the end game which we made friends along the way we did we yeah. made some good friends Taryn and his magical mushrooms he chased yep. the dragon for a while became a raccoon that was a whole adventure Marin and it was our big chance that we apparently missed because she sort of turned into a seagull um Greg the block Greg uh, no he was not our friend yeah. Greg the block was not our friend yeah um I was gonna go with walrus. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Greg the Block didn't show up as one of the forms of the final nightmare. In the he really should have. He would have. Well, the reason he didn't is because he would have been unbeatable. <laughs> you cannot defeat Greg the Block. You just can't do it. Okay, you right, just right, can't do it. Right. Um, yeah, I, mean, I mean, you make you make some compelling points, man. <laughs> uh, no, but for real, and then I am. Uh, happy to be here. I'm. I'm happy that we have gone on this journey. Um, our first foray in our um, professional-ish, well, professional-ish career um, into top-down Zelda. Um, I'm still very much top-down Zelda noob. So, you know, this has been a lot of fun. Um, we're going to put a bow on it. Uh, it's not quite the Statue of Liberty as uh, Ocarina of Time was, but in many ways it's almost as uh, impactful and monumental to uh, to the Zelda series in general. It has a very special place in the fandom's heart, and uh, I think it's wormed its way into our hearts as well. Well, it was already in mine. Well, but yeah, I'm but glad it, it's, 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 yeah. it's gotten there for me too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who doesn't know uh, if this is the first season you're listening to this podcast, we always wrap up each season with a recap episode, which has a slightly different format than the rest of the episode or the rest of the season before it, um, where we just kind of look back on the game we just got finished playing. We take a breath and recognize it for its achievements, rank it against the other games that we've played, which we can now do um, as this is the second game we've beaten. So, so we have exactly one other <laughs> yes 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 um but and, anywho so yeah just take a minute to reflect on everything that's happened before we move on to our next game um i'm just going to get right into the housekeeping if you didn't know sacred realms is a weekly re-examination of the legend of zelda one little slice at a time sacred realms drops every wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks every week we play a new section of a zelda game then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes of which we have many many 
If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. And as of several weeks ago, our bonus episodes are now all available on Apple Podcasts via paid subscription. It's $3.99 a month or $30 a year, and that gets you access to all of our bonus episodes. I think right now it's up for a three-day free trial, so you can listen three days for free and then uh, continue on from there if that's your bag. So, Which, uh, hopefully, this is your bag. If you're a Zelda fan, hopefully this is your bag. We hope you find your home here. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I've said this before, but the conversations that we have in those bonus episodes, really, like we've talked about some very cool stuff with some very cool guests. It all is a little bit, uh, it's a a bit more freewheeling than what we're able to do on the actual uh, game recap episodes. But there's some really great conversations in there. Um, Conversations with Kylie Parker about uh, the Breath of the Wild 2 E3 trailer, with Max Nichols about the nitty-gritty design of the Water Temple, with Eric Buckles about uh, music and and, uh, musical achievement in Zelda. A lot of great stuff there. So go check that out. Definitely worth getting into if you haven't listened to it already. But without further ado, let's get right into the Sacred Realms recap where we kind of pick apart uh, the various uh, you know bits and pieces of this game and give some awards for excellence in a, in a I don't know in a few specific areas. Are um, we gonna make this like the Oscars? It's not quite like that because it is like it's it's a mixture of awards and just general musings and all of that stuff. So uh, part one of the Sacred Realms recap is of course the plot and I don't know, Matt, this is a deceptively plot-heavy game, especially now that it's over. I think we can say that, right? Like, yeah, you know, um, does a lot with a little. It does. So, like, I guess we'll we'll do a we'll do a quick recap here. Basically, you know, we start out our adventure here on Coholent with waking up from more or less a coma. I don't know. Eh, it's arguable. Um, what is the medical definition of a coma anyway? Uh, prolonged unconsciousness regardless um we wake up from coma on this weird island and there's just a lot of things going on that aren't quite right you know and and we're put on this adventure where we have to go and slay a whole bunch of monsters save some townspeople do some weird item trading quests and about three quarters of the way through would you say that that's fair yeah three quarters of the way like we start getting hints and I mean, not like su- not like the subtle hints that we were getting earlier. We start getting very um, <laughs> in your face hints that like, hey, this island is not exactly real. Um, so we kind of at that point from the three quarters way through the rest of the game are trying to go through with is the island real at all? If it's not, is this a dream? Is waking up the windfish going to make this whole island disappear? Uh, what exactly does all of this mean? Blah, 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 blah. Am I real? Very existential and crisis sure. game. And of course, the emotional glue that makes all of this work is the connections that you make with the characters who exist on this island. Because this all only has stakes because we're getting to know the people who live here. We're getting to know Marin. We're getting to know Taryn, which, by the way, Madam Meow Meow. I meant, to, I meant to ask this earlier. What is the familial relationship between Marin and Taryn? Father and daughter. Well, I thought that too, except Marin calls Taryn Taryn. Like she refers to him as Taryn. I mean, I 
I call mom and dad Mike and Crystal sometimes. Do you? Yes. That's weird. No, it's not. Huh. Okay. Uh, I'm not convinced that that's true, but I don't know. I, it's it's ambiguous. I mean, Google might know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm choosing to believe that it is familiar relationship because um, most familiar relationships within the Zelda universe have that uh, mnemonic um, similarity. Well, I'm just wondering if it's like a sister brother. I know they're I know they're related. I'm just wondering if it's like a sister oh, brother gotcha, thing. Gotcha. Like, a, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. She he he seems older than her, and I don't I don't know. Maybe it's the mustache. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, Marin and Taryn, right? You know, you're totally right. So we have this odd, um, oddball misfit cast of characters that we're getting to know the whole time from, you know, the the citizens of Mave Village to Mr. Wright to some of the animals in Animal Village, like Mr. Walrus. Catfish and, and goat lady. Yeah, catfish and goat lady. And, um, you know, there's a lot going on here that tries to anchor you into the story and then to find out three quarters of the way through that, like, hey, this story might not be exactly real. You might just be on a really bad trip um, is is a little jarring. And and so for the rest of the game, we go through and even the enemies at that point in the game start referring to if you defeat us, if you kill me, then this is all going to go away and maybe you'll go away, too. And so, you know, it, this game takes you into a very weird, like existential crisis place that like is not normal for video games right um especially or, or, zelda games yeah sure. but like well especially video games of this time when this right. game came out i mean this game came out in like what 1993 94 so it's yeah, yeah. no it's 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 hitting a whole nother level of like deep it's very deep yeah um yeah it's crazy so again uh, to your point yes we do a lot with a little Crash landing on an island, um, unless you're Tom Hanks, you really can't turn that into a whole lot. But um, we yeah. do. So let's so let's take it from there. Then half of plot is setting, and I feel like we have one of the more unique settings in Zelda. Here, it's not Hyrule. It is correct. It is it is this offbeat little oddball Koholint Island. Um, do you like Koholint Island as the setting for this game? Like, what do you think of it as a location? I like the vibe of Koholan Island. It's very oddball. It's very fun. It's very unique. Um, I I don't love traveling around Koholan Island until you unlock the fast travel points. Like pre-fast travel points, traveling around Koholan Island is kind of a pain. But well, sure. But but, the, but that's a gameplay thing. I'm just talking. No, no, no. no, no, no for sure. Um I mean, I guess I guess I'd have a hard time separating those two things, maybe. But um, no. So if if you just look at the vibe of Mabe Village, the vibe of Animal Village, the the um, what you f- what you're feeling when you're walking around in Telltale Heights or in the desert um, or Monbo's uh, cavern, like yeah, I, I've Koholan Island's awesome. Um, it's it feels distinct mm. from Hyrule. I don't think there's any version of Hyrule that or Termina, for that instance, um, that comes close. Koholint feels very much like its own thing. Yeah. It doesn't feel like anything else. It doesn't feel like you ripped half of Hyrule and then like cobbled it together and threw it over in the ocean. It, it's, it yeah. is distinct. It's so funny, though, because like in Link to the Past, we get we get Hyrule and then the Dark World, where like the Dark World is kind of this creepy mirror of Hyrule. And, uh, and I feel like 
you can't exactly say that Koholint is like the third world on top of that um, because it's not the same layout or size, for instance. But it does remix a lot of the same kinds of places that we get in Hyrule, just with kind of more of a tropical bent and in different contexts. Oh, see, so, like I don't have that context to put with it because okay. I've never played Link to the Past. But, but, but like, I mean, you're still right. It's not like it's not. It's not a direct transfer. Everything you said is true. But, uh, you know, we still like we've got our castle area. We've got like a, a Kakariko village. Wait, we, we have village. a castle. Where's the castle? Oh, Conalette. Conalette. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got a desert. We've got a mountain range. We've got like uh, we've got swimmable like bay area. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, there's remixes on all of those classic Zelda trope areas just kind of done within the lens of this tropical island. And I think that they are distinct enough just you know, obviously for that, uh, for that change in setting. So that's fair. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've always liked or I always, I say always, I played this game twice. Um, (laughs) the thing that I appreciated more this time around was something we talked about a lot in the earlier episodes was just the sheer amount of crossover between the Mario world and the Zelda world where we're getting into like, you know, bow wow is literally a chain chomp and then you've got the the cacti people in the desert and um like there is they take coho lint and they very purposefully turn it into this oddball mashup of nintendo stuff yeah we need to kind of like throw it over there we need to start an oddball jar and every time we use the word oddball as a descriptor we need to start putting money in that because like you and i have that's like the fifth time you and i have each done that it's just in this episode yeah yeah it's just so hard because it's it is so it's it's accurate like it's there's i can't really think of another way to say it it just is off kilter it's off beat and it's purposeful in doing that yep yep no, I mean, it's true. It's very it's very intentional. And I think that this game gains a whole lot because of that. I mean, the characters that you interact with in this game have so much more personality than they do in Link to the Past. And you'll see that when we get there. You know, there's yeah. a lot more work done on character here. And it's still not like, you know, deep character work. Right. It's it's no it's no Skyward Sword Groose development, right? Like Groose has a whole ass character arc, but like Sure, you know. yeah. I mean I mean exactly. But like it's enough to make you feel something. For it's, sure. It's enough to make you feel for Marin. It's Abs- en- absolutely yeah it's enough to get you invested in what happens when we wake up the windfish and does yeah. this all go away. Look, it's good. We're not playing the Mass Effect trilogy. We're playing a top down Zelda game. But that doesn't mean that there's not emotional investment within this sphere. Yeah. Right. And and I feel like while I, I don't necessarily emotionally invest a lot in many of the characters in Ocarina of Time, there mm-hmm. are a couple characters in Ocarina of Time that I do emotionally invest with, you know, maybe uh, Saria, Darunia, Sheik to an extent, um, uh, Malin. Happy Mask Salesman. No, I hate that guy. God, he creeps me out. Um, and and like Malin, I, I think are probably I don't even invest that much in Zelda in Ocarina of Time. Like you see her like three times. Yeah. And she's kind of a nebulous character. Right. Mm-hmm. But in Link's Awakening, you have you have a cast of characters you kind of emotionally invest in. And I and I think really it's mostly centered around Marin and Taryn and um and like the citizens of Mabe Village, like the citizens of Mabe Village and really Mabe Village as a, as a whole is um, almost a character in and of itself mm-hmm. where like you feel emotionally invested in safeguarding this place. Yeah. Um, 
So I feel like Link's Awakening hits those emotional chords even a little bit better in some ways uh, than Ocarina of Time does mm-hmm. in some cases. Yep. So. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, let's go ahead and, and give out an award for excellence in character. Um, for Matt, sure. I know you already have like your pick for. for <laughs> yes. But Best character in the game. Yeah. Who is it, Matt? Monbo. <laughs> Our boy Monbo. Monbo. He's going to play me his mambo till I drop. I'm going to give you a reprise of Mambo's Mambo right now. As you should. As you should. Monbo, my boy, child of the sunfish, who we unfortunately never get to meet, um, who lets me fast travel from any point on the map, which is really the reason I like him the most. Um, he's a fantastic character. I don't know. He, he's just one of those characters that's like funny. And like you encounter him and you're like, this is the most ridiculous thing I can think of in this situation. Yeah. And it just works and it's fun. Yeah. And I love him. And his <laughs> his song is catchy. It's a mumbo. Yeah. That, yeah, that's great. I love I love I love Monbo. He's uh he's a he's a real bro. Um uh, Okay, so Lyndon, what is what is your well mine is far more predictable than yours. Oh, uh, it's Marin, isn't yeah, it's, it? It's of course Marin. it's Marin. I mean, of course it's Marin. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I th- I just think of course that would be most people's pick for this game, and I'm not trying to be boring here, but like you have to understand Marin had emotional layers even before Zelda had emotional layers. Oh, so much. Like, like so Marin was was the character before Ocarina of Time Zelda, and Ocarina of Time Zelda was arguably the most emotionally layered Zelda like in in the franchise history up to that point. Yeah. Like, man, Marin trumps Ocarina of Time Zelda. Yeah. I mean, Zelda. I would argue that Malin trumps Ocarina of Time Zelda as well. I mean, like, actually, yeah, so would I. <laughs> but like, yeah. I mean, Zelda as a character doesn't really get layers until. Like, no, she's always this- like Wind Waker kind of does. And then uh, Twilight, uh, Twilight Princess kind of does. Sort of. But really, I guess Skyward Sword is the first time. Uh, that Skyward does, Sword I mean, is the first time I ever legitimately gave more than one single <laughs> about a Zelda character. Yeah. I mean, Skyward Sword Zelda is just man. Really, the the entire game turns on the axis of her character, and it's great. But yeah, it um, works very well. Yeah, and yeah, and then uh, Breath of the Wild Zelda is great as well. Oh, absolutely. But anyway, but For but, sure. but Marin had Marin had a narrative containing emotional depth uh, before any actual Zelda did, and uh, well, I don't she's, know. I just, she's the first female character in Nintendo, I think. Really, because like Peach never really had a character arc. Um, was Samus around pre, but you didn't really know Samus didn't exactly have a character arc. She's just, cool yeah, mercenary. no, not, not, not really. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to argue that Marin is really the first female character in an, in a Nintendo game up to this point that had significant emotional depth. That could very well be right. I don't have enough of a grounding in like in retro gaming to say definitively whether that's true. I mean, if anyone and, else and can I think would of say, a good example, then let us know. But. Yeah, I would say in our experience of Nintendo games yeah. preceding Link's Awakening. There you go. That's, yeah, in, that's in, true. in our personal experience, yeah. games preceding 
Link's Awakening did not have significant female emotional depth, and Marin does. Yep, that's true. Okay, cool. I can get behind that. Um, uh, Matt, do you have anything else you want to say about the plot before we move on to dungeons? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I like, I do legitimately like, um, the, the, the dichotomy that you experience within this game of what is real, what isn't real. Um, am I real? Am, am I not like, there, there is a legitimate dichotomy, and I can't... It, one of the things that has always compelled me about Link is they intentionally leave him as a tabula rasa, uh, or a blank slate, yeah. for you to imprint upon the character, right? And that's that's intentional. That's the reason they call him Link, because he's the link between the player and the, and the game. Right. Um, so when I think about this Link going on this adventure... And trying to think about how he would process what he's been told during the course of this game. If you wake up the windfish, you may cease to exist. Like at that point, would I continue going forward or would I just say, screw it. I'm going to go back to Mabe Village, settle down with Marin, you know, protect the village from monsters for the rest of my life and just call it Gucci. Yeah. Um, I mean, because that's that would theoretically, obviously not in the course of this game, you know, if this were quote unquote life. That would be an option, right? Just sure. try to forget all of that, screw the adventure, go back, settle down, call it fine. And, you know, that's got to be, when I think about that, it's got to be a, a real struggle for this link to say, am I real? And if I wake up the windfish, am I going to cease to exist? And that's a very terrifying thought. Yep. So nope, um, for sure, no, it hits a lot of it hits a lot of chords there. Cool. Absolutely. Let's move on to part two of the Sacred Realms recap, which is where we give our award for best dungeon in the game. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm trying to think. I've actually been going back and forth on this in in my own mind and. I think I have an answer. I think I know which way I want to go, but I could use two more minutes to think about it. If you already know what you I, I do not know. So okay. I'm think about it. All right. Well, you know what? I'm just going to make a call here. I think that as a whole, from a difficulty puzzle solving, um, enemy density from all, all those standpoints, uh, I think that I enjoy, I think that I enjoy Eagle's Tower the most out of any of the dungeons. What's you looking up over there? Uh, I was going to look up just like a, a quick like overview of the dungeons just or just like a like the polygon guide and just get a list of all the dungeons right in front of me so that I can more easily associate. But I actually don't need that. Um, my favorite dungeon is Turtles Rock. OK. Yeah, I would say that for all the reasons you just listed, mm-hmm. enemy density, puzzle solving, um, boss fights, etc. I, I think Turtle Rock is really great. I think it has a, a semi-useless item, um, but really you get the best item in the game on the very first dungeon. So it's hard to use that as a yeah, yeah. Uh, as a qualifier. But um, it, I think Turtles Turtles Rock introduces a lot of unique enemies. The puzzle solving is difficult, but not obtuse. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of really good flow that happens within Turtles Rock. And there's four mini boss fights, which I like a lot. Yeah. Um, granted, I was using um, 
<laughs> the red tunic and the coho lint sword so i like killed Cheater. Every, i killed yeah. everything in two hits or yeah. three hits yeah. so like fair but um no i i really enjoyed turtles rock the final boss fight in turtles rock was stupid and boring but um honestly i didn't find any of the final bosses really none of them are no. excellent no. um I, so for eagle's tower i think that i enjoy that one the most just because it does have the most unique dungeon mechanic in the game which oh is for the, sure the when you break the pillars. pillars yeah um that's a lot of fun there's very purposeful use of backtracking and vertical space in that dungeon just in the whole like keeping track of where you're gonna fall when you jump into a pit you know yeah i mean the use of vertical space within eagle's dungeon is is groundbreaking and, and bar none the most clever uh most clever dungeon layout in the game yeah for sure and as i said in our actual eagles tower episode i was expecting to hate that dungeon as much as i hated it the first time that i played it but i i didn't to be 100 honest I, I actually kind of enjoyed it i found myself getting a huge adrenaline rush every time i figured out how to get to the next pillar and break it with the giant ball um so yeah i think eagles tower is a really good pick Okay. The the thing is about this conversation, though, that I think we mentioned this two episodes ago, maybe um, this game does not have bad dungeons. I really don't think it does either. Um, I Like outside of Greg the Block, I, I really <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't like I had minor gripes about all the dungeons and that completely comes from me not being very experienced or savvy with top-down dungeons. Like, that is a completely me thing. Um, When I look at them objectively and when I put myself in the shoes of someone who grew up with top-down dungeons or who just genuinely prefers that style of gameplay, these dungeons are very, very, very well made. Yeah. And, um, like, there's not a single one that I think was boring. Yeah, no, that's true. I think aside from Tail Cave, which is just like got big first dungeon vibes and is not that hard, and then maybe Key Cavern, um, which I still think is good, but doesn't have the most identity. As yeah, like I mean, that's fair. It, it literally is just get as many keys yeah. as possible. But even those two are still good. Like all yeah. the dungeon design in this game is good and I yeah. enjoy it. The boss fights are universally nothing subpar yeah yeah (laughs) universally except for the except for the final nightmare yeah the 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 bosses are all just not good yeah okay so best dungeon matt says turtles rock i say eagles tower let's move which is interesting that both of ours are the last two dungeons in the game i almost said um uh, I almost said Face Shrine, which is still in the still, back half. Yeah, still, yeah, still the back half of the game. I mean, I would have almost said Catfish's Maw now that, you know, you've reminded me that that's the one where you have uh, Master Stolfos. Yeah. I really like that one. Um, although I think that's the one with Greg the Block. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, um, I, I So, like, I would say the last three dungeons, Catfish's... Four. Three? Catfish's Maw, Four. The last four dungeons, Catfish's Maw, Face Shrine, Eagle Sour, Total Rock, are all really fantastic dungeons yeah like that those are four in a row that you can't go wrong with i do just want to give an honorable mention to face shrine just because i still think some of the backtracking and block based puzzles that you have to do in there are a little cruel and it does have that completely unexplained like room loop that happens yeah where you like go up but somehow end up down yeah Yeah, that's a weird one yeah yeah but i think that uh face shrine i said this in that episode but face shrine has an aesthetic 
in a vibe yeah. that is like it actually probably if, if we're judging just on aesthetics alone then i think face, face shrine is my best, favorite for sure but uh anyway it's just got this it's got this creepy sinister like red pink stone vibe and like we're just coming off of learning that maybe the island doesn't actually exist and i don't know i i really like face shrine as a dungeon as well but still would put eagle's tower in my top spot but anywho just a few yeah honorable no, mention yeah. yeah for sure uh, let's move on to part three, which is best item in the game. And I'm going to split this into two parts. Yeah, I'm going to split this into two parts. Part one is the one where we just go ahead and admit that the rock's feather is the best by far and nothing can beat it. <laughs> well, well, yeah. And yeah. then we have to exclude the boomerang because rock's feather plus boomerang is. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. So, OK, flat out. Everybody knows Rock's Feather and Boomerang, two best items in the game. There's there is no competition. Yeah. Like, it's not even close. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, Rock's Feather, like Boomerang feels pretty cheap, honestly. Oh, for sure. It's it's cheating yeah. the whole way. But uh, Rock's Feather, I, I love it just because it opens up a whole new dimension of movement for a top-down Zelda game. Link to the Past didn't have a Rock's Feather. Um, and I just, I really like how much of your toolkit it becomes. Um, I don't think I ever unequipped the Rock's Feather. I, I never did, not once. And like, to be fair, that is, that is an in- indication oh. <laughs> of the... Sorry, go. Yeah. That is an indication of the fact that the sword and shield are no longer equipable items in the Switch version, so yeah. you don't have to make that particular trade-off. So a, a full acknowledgement that this is a this is a benefit of playing on the Switch, whereas if you're playing on a Game Boy or uh, the Game & Watch or you know any other version where that is not an option, you may have a harder time with that. But Lyndon and I are playing on the Switch where the sword and shield are bound to uh, B and left triggers. So. Yeah, um, I will say I, I did I did unequip the Rock's Feather one time and it was just so that I could uh, do the bomb arrows, do the bomb arrows. Oh, right? I mean, yeah. I guess that's fair. I yeah. did that, too. But yeah. I was just running around throwing bomb arrows at people. For yeah, funsies. when I when I went to fight the turtle to get into Turtle Rock, I put the bomb arrows. on. I use the Rock's me. Feather a lot there. I jump over his little stupid head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, oh, well, it's fine. Anyway, yeah. Okay, so putting the rock's feather and the boomerang to one side, uh, (laughs) what what gets top spot after that? Oh, man. It's tempting for me to say the Pegasus boots, but the Pegasus boots are mostly useful in conjunction with the rock's feather (laughs) in order to traverse larger gaps. Um, uh, you know what? I'm going to go with the hook shot. Okay. It, uh, it stuns enemies. It traverses the entire length of the screen, which is more than, you know, any 3d Zelda hook shot does. Yeah. Um, very useful item opens up a whole lot of things in the game. A lot of the heart pieces that you get in the back, uh, quarter, third of the game maybe um you have to have the hook shot for yeah um and again stunning enemies is super fun it is fun uh i'm going i actually am gonna say the pegasus boots that's fair um double damage is pretty great double damage uh traversing entire grid sections of the map very quickly is cool uh Uh, yeah it it makes it makes traveling around the map without uh fast travel a lot easier for sure yeah and i mean and, and once again that's another thing that used to be bound to an item slot in yeah the man version. that's like, crazy it's just like you when you think about 
in order to traverse a lot of the puzzles in the Game Boy version, you had to equip the Pegasus boots and the Rock's Feather, which meant you didn't have a sword or a shield at that point in time. Yeah. I'm like, man, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so glad I'm not playing the Game Boy version of it this. Was, it was a <laughs> it was a different time. It was. I yeah. was I was literally like a year old. So, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely Pegasus boots. I, I really like them a lot in this nuts, game and they get good. a lot of mileage. No pun yeah. intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, best item. There we go. Uh, obviously, rocks, feather, and boomerang, and then hookshot. Yeah, hookshot hook for Matt. Pegasus boots for me. Yep. And honor. I think we should give honorable mention to the power bracelets because they're non-equipable items, which open up gigantic chunks of the map. Like they're not exactly a useful item per se. Yeah. But like when you get power bracelet one, that's when you can really open up the map and start exploring. So I would, I would give honorable mention at least to the power bracelet. So I don't know if you caught onto this at all because a a lot of people don't even notice that this is the case, but after you get the coalant sword, you know, you can use that to break pots, right? No. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. After you get the coalant sword, you do not have to use the power bracelet to pick up and move pots anymore. Well, okay, that's cool. Right. Also, I mean, at that point, you don't need anything out of pots at all. So, like, basically, but still, yeah, <laughs> still, it's, it's a neat thing. Yeah. yeah, it's neat. Yeah, that coalant sword yeah. is awesome, though. Um, especially, especially in conjunction with the red tunic, doing quad damage with your sword is dope. Yeah. Well, there you go. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Anyway, fun tidbit there. Let's move on to part four of the Sacred Realms recap, which is best music in the game. Let's give a give an award for achievement in music. And honestly, I think this is probably the first one where we're going to have a really tough time because the music in this game is is great. And the the orchestration of it for the Switch remaster is even more great. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I think I'm probably going to have to go with um, the Windfish's song with all eight instruments when you're opening the egg. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I love that rendition. And really, I think the thing I love most about that rendition is that you get the full length ocarina version and then it goes into the full orchestration with the ocarina accompaniment. Yep. And it like flows so well together with the Switch remaster. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Um I love it a lot, and I, I was tempted to go with the Telltale Heights theme, but you and I both discussed that, honestly, the um, the Game Boy version with the 8-bit soundtrack is is a little more hype than yeah. um, than the, the remastered. Yeah. For whatever reason, I don't know, it's probably nostalgic mm-hmm. for you, and it's, for me, I don't know, it just it kind of is. But yeah. um, So my pick is going to be, actually, the version of the Windfish's Ballad from uh, the cutscene where you're talking to Marin on the beach. It's it's got a different orchestration of it, and it, it's it's kind of like extended and goes on for a while. It's a really really cool version of that song. Uh, I like it a lot. Maybe I was playing the game on low volume at that point because I don't remember that at all. Please play it for me. Okay, yeah. Play so it. we're gonna cut this. Yeah, we're gonna interlude cut, cut out, out. But yep. um... actually, I just downloaded.
Yeah, okay. Um, so, I know we probably cut most of that out, but uh, Lyndon just played that song for me, his, his pick for me. And uh, I think I'm going to change mine to that because that was, I mean, I'm not going yeah, to actually, yeah. but like, no, man, that was really, that was good. Yeah. I, I guess I must have had that, had the game on mute. Maybe it was on the airplane or something when I was playing that, but like, man, that was really good. Yeah. I liked that a lot. Um, if I had to pick an honorable mention, I actually have two. Uh, one is just the Mabe Village theme, which I really like. It, it feels homey and cozy and uh it's more just that the the remastered version of that song on the switch with which while fully orchestrated um really gains a lot from the 8-bit version you know yeah it, it, i don't know i really like that version of the Mabe village track but uh the other one is the credits roll song yeah um yeah which which is really cool um but also in the switch remaster it cuts to 8-bit for a few it, it did i, I noticed it. that yeah. yeah i noticed that I always just thought that that was a really fun acknowledgement of like the past of the game and i don't know it's it, it, cheeky for like sure it. no i mean nintendo is nothing but intentional and in their intentionality they tend to be a little cheeky and i, I appreciate that yeah about them. no definitely definitely but i mean really honestly guys there's not a bad piece of music in this game it, it truly is um especially in the in the grand scheme of top-down zelda games a lot of really good stuff going on here Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, I, I completely agree. There's a there's a lot of really good stuff going on. Monbo's Mambo is a classic in and of itself. <laughs> Truly it sets is. the game apart. Truly is Monbo's Mambo. It's, uh, I mean, you got like the Beatles, Miles Davis, Monbo's Mambo. Yeah. <laughs> I would have come with Frank Sinatra, but, you okay, know, Mambo's sure. Mambo. Yeah, I'm, that, a, I'm, a, I'm a Miles Davis guy. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, OK, so that. Let's see. I mean, is there anything else we want to add to music? I mean, we could go on forever, but we could. But um, there, I think there's a the last thing I'm going to say is there's a very good reason that the Windfish is um, ballad yeah. is as beloved in the Zelda community as it is. And you even see it in other Zelda games, for example, um, Majora's Mask. When when you play <laughs> the Windfish's ballad as the uh, as Link's alternate personas all yeah. at the same time, although it's not the same song, it's not. Mask, but, but they yeah. call it the, you know. Yeah. Th- there's homage to it. Yeah. Other places, and yeah. th- there's a very good reason for that. I will say that people spent so long saying that they wanted fully orchestrated Zelda soundtracks in the games, and of course, we got that for the first time with Skyward Sword. Uh, and whoop, whoop. Uh, yeah, and obviously Skyward Sword's soundtrack is amazing. It, uh, whoop, whoop. Yeah, people recognize it almost universally as one of the best Zelda soundtracks. And I think this game shows what you can do with a fully orchestrated soundtrack used in a much more like minimal way. You know, um, it just has a completely different, a much less grand vibe to it. Yeah. But is still so successful. It still has so much atmosphere and I, I don't know. I love it. I think it's great for sure. Yep. Okay. Uh, part five, which is the best side quest in the game. And I mean, like, this one ought to be interesting because I don't know that there was a ton to choose from here. But Matt, Matt you go. Best side quest. Best side quest. Um, let me see. 
can we count the color dungeon as a side quest? <sighs> For the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to say no. Ah, oh, dang it. Okay. Well, it's, I mean, fair, but that's why I asked the question. Hmm. The trendy game. Oh, yeah? The trendy game. Okay. Best right. side quest, just like in general. It's actually fun. It is. Um, <laughs> there are, it's, it can be as all crane games can be a, a little frustrating at times, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know what? It's a really fun. Yeah. Really fun. Yeah. Uh, of course the temptation is there just to say the item trading quest, you know? Well, yeah, but, but that's like, not a no, side quest. Not, I mean, but, no, it's not. However, um, I am going to pick a, a piece from it, which is not necessary to beat the game. Uh, the whole the whole goat lady catfish scheme is just <laughs> it cracks me up. That's it's so a, funny. Well, especially in the Switch remaster where she literally gives him a picture of Princess Peach. Yeah, like that's hilarious. Yeah, no, it's so funny. I, 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 I the, just the gumption there. Yeah, is, it, it is kills real, me. It it's, kills it, me. Every it's some single time. solid gumption. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that little that little beat. Um, I don't know. You know, I wish that. I could say that my favorite side quest in the game is Dompe's Dungeon Builder, but... But it's just not. Yeah. Dompe's Dungeon Builder, hot take, sucked. It's just such a letdown compared to I mean, it's just, what it was billed as, you know? You put Dompe's Dungeon Builder into the top-down Zelda with the best dungeons, and you expect it to compete? Not smart in my opinion like yeah. I, I feel like if you want to put a dungeon builder into a game you should probably put it into a game that has some at least mediocre dungeons but that's not the case with Link's Awakening there's just I don't know I mean I, I had so many good dungeons I don't feel like going to making a subpar one myself and then trying to beat it and well, like not well especially when that when that subpar dungeon is just assembled from rooms that you've already beaten in other dungeons you know like exactly yeah it, I don't know exactly it, the execution really wasn't there it's a good way to pass some time in Link's Awakening and obviously if you're a completionist then you you need to do that to get like you are compelled yeah to get your third bottle and all that other stuff but I, it's just yeah neither of us are compelled to do that no not at all i mean it yeah i don't mind going the extra mile in zelda games i actually usually quite enjoy it but there's got to be some good payoff and the activity itself has to be fun i think so. the only zelda game i've ever 100 percent completed is skyward sword um because I was just loving my first playthrough so much that I went and Googled how to do everything possible yeah. in Skyward Sword. Okay. Like, I think that's literally the only one. Yeah. I tried to do 100% completion on our Ocarina of Time playthrough, but screwed that up with a giant pose. And after that, I just said, screw it, because I didn't want to go get all the Sculptulas. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, yes. I have done a 100% on Link's Awakening before. I, like in I, the in the Game Boy version? No, in the Switch version. Really? You beat Dompe's Dungeon Builder? Yeah. Well, congratulations. I, I applaud you. <laughs> I wouldn't do it again. No, like, no for yeah, sure not. But for sure not. Anyway. So. I, I did Dompe's Dungeon Builder exactly one time, and I was like, mm, nah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's not the best. It's not the best. Um, Man, wow, okay. I really thought we had a few extra categories, like, scattered into this, this recap business, but, I mean, I guess the big one is still to come. Um, part six of the Sacred Realms recap, which is our final thoughts and ranking. Oh my gosh, so many final thoughts. Okay, 
Um, Matt, why don't you give me three final thoughts in no particular order? No particular order. Okay. Um, I am not a fan of top-down games. Yeah. Like, I, I cannot think of a single top-down game that has ever really caught my attention. Um, I have to say that I love Link's Awakening for what it is. Like, it is a fantastic game. It is a historic game. It is a fun game. Um, Its type of game, the top-down, still, if I had to, like, choose, if someone put three games in front of me, and let's let's not even take my favorite games. Let's say, do you want to play Destiny, Halo 3, and or Link's Awakening? I would probably pick Halo 2, or, or I would probably pick Halo 3 or um, or Destiny. Like, on my own, right? Just, like, if I wanted to spend, if I had an hour and a half to kill. Well, but let's put this in, let's, let's make this a bit more relevant to Zelda. Let's take two Zelda games that okay. you've never played before. Someone, okay. someone puts uh, Wind Waker okay. and, uh, I don't know, Minish Cap, A Link mm-hmm. Between Worlds. Link Between Worlds, I haven't played that one. Okay. I have played Minish Cap. Uh, okay, well, actually, let's let's put it in terms of classics. Okay. S- someone puts Wind Waker and A Link to the Past in front of you. Okay, so Wind Waker, Link to the Past, and Link's Awakening. Which one would I choose? Well, right. Link's Awakening is you've got just just two. You've got a, a you've got a top down. Oh, in a 3D. oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I would choose Wind Waker every time. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. Um, and like I I I grasp intellectually why Link to the Past and Link's Awakening are so crucial and they're so beloved. And I I get it. I do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't resonate with me the same way. And I honestly like I'm having a harder time explaining why. Now that I have played it for a second time. Yeah. Like I, I, I before I'd played it a second time, it was very easy for me to just say like, oh, I don't really love top down Zelda's. Oh, the dungeons were like, man, the boss fights, man. Like I'm having a harder time articulating why it doesn't resonate with me as much. And maybe that's, that's just like my walls coming down and maybe I'm becoming less biased and, and I'm totally open to that. Like sure. maybe I just yeah. have a, a bias here. I'm totally open to that. Um, which is why we're doing this. I mean, it's it's a solid 30% of the reason that we did this whole podcast was to see if we could break down my bias against top-down Zeldas, right? Sure. Um, this game is just, it's very good. It really is. Um, it may not resonate with me the same way that it does with probably most of our listeners. I would say there's probably a 80% chance that most of our listeners would put Link's Awakening in their top five. Like, of, of like games in general, um, and then like probably top three Zelda games. So I fully acknowledge that. And I hope deeply hope that I can get to a point by the time we we finish our run of Zelda games where I can have a full appreciation of top down Zeldas um, like some of you do. That's that's the goal, guys. That's the goal. We're breaking down my biases here. OK, cool. Um, that's take number one. OK, and you get to go now no, you get to go you give me a take we're gonna do we're gonna do it back and forth here okay take number one for me um in very many ways this game in any incarnation you play it i i maintain that if you play this on game boy game boy color or switch with switch being my preferred version just because of mm, mm-hmm. just because of quality of life enhancements and graphical enhancements and music upgrades all that all of those things i prefer that version but i think that this is a timeless game I think that the story that it tells, 
the formula that it uses to tell that story, the the um, the focused quality of the top down Zelda formula distilled into a somewhat smaller environment than we're used to getting it in like a link to the past or for instance, but like it, it is just it's a very focused game mm-hmm. and it's dated in some ways um just from a like this is how people design games of a certain time but none of that subtracts from its overall quality it is a timeless game and i don't think i'm ever going to get sick of playing it i i foresee myself playing this game many more times for sure no i think that's a fantastic take uh, okay my take number two is um this game as we've kind of alluded to previously has some of the best character development of any zelda game previous to this one um there is so much to love and enjoy about what we are experiencing right like if if i honestly i think if i were to put Link's awakening in a 3d context it would be top three zelda games for me like in general um There's a lot to love here, and even a lot of the environments themselves feel like characters. Sure. Like Mabe Village, Animal Village, Telltale Heights. Um, Like, the the environments feel like characters, and that's very rare for a game, especially especially a top-down game. Sure. um, Where a lot of character is lost in the lack of explorability that is there. Mm -hmm. Um, But Link's Awakening pulls that off to where Koholint Island itself feels like a living, breathing character, a part of the game that you connect with and enjoy and love. Yep. Okay. Um, Takeaway number two for me is that. hmm. Okay. Takeaway number two for me is that I think the art style that they use for the switch remaster is perfect for what this game is. Um, it would have been very easy for them to go back to the Wind Waker design well, you know, like, kind of like what they did with Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks and uh, and even Minish Cap to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm very glad that they did something completely new and different that we've never seen in a Zelda game before. Um, I, I think that it, it really lends personality to this version of Koholint Island and uh, they deserve a lot of props for their artistic direction around the remaster. Yeah. None of you can see me, but I am nodding my head vigorously in agreement because I think that's an extremely accurate take. Okay. Takeaway number three for you. So takeaway number three for me, um, this game solidifies my dislike of top down combat. Like it's unidimensional. It's, more hectic than not there's literally zero strategy um it's all about timing and jumping or blocking or you know finding the right corner to sit in um like for this being arguably the best top-down zelda there is just the combat that is within the game i i just don't generally find satisfying the very f- there's two exceptions to this, and that is master the master Stolfos fights in the Catfish's Maw, and then the final nightmare fights, and that's because they add mechanics to it where you're you're combining timing with um, movement with items, and so the, like when you combine those three things in the two dimensional space, um, it, it becomes a little bit more satisfying, but. 2D combat 
comes nowhere near even the least satisfying combat of a 3D space, in my opinion. Okay. Um, and, and again, unpopular take, most likely for some people, mm-hmm. but that's just kind of how I feel about it. Um, roast me on Twitter. Just tell me how wrong I am. It's fine. It's what I'm here for. Okay. Takeaway number three for me is that I think it was one of the best decisions that we made in the formation of this podcast to alternate between 3D and top-down Zelda. Oh, absolutely. Because I love having this kind of Zelda game as a breather between the the larger, longer 3D games. It, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it, 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 it's, I feel like it's going to make it really a lot harder for us to get burnt out on playing Zelda when we're having these as like palate cleansers. Because they're, they're the so ones. different, right? Yeah. You're not like a lot of the 3D games and really the 2D games, they have so many similarities. You don't feel like you're playing the same game over and over again, but you're getting the same formula, right? It's like you're eating a different type of chicken recipe every night. Like you eventually get tired of chicken. Like sure. we're, we're, we're going between steak and chicken and fish. And like, we're, we're kind of, we're going to different places and we're experiencing very different things here. So I completely agree. It was the, it was the best decision I think we made outside of actually doing the podcast to stagger our, our top down and 3d. Yep. 3D yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with our, with each of us having three takeaways and we've gotten that out of the way, the time has come to do a ranking. Hmm. All right. So the, we pre- only have two, the previous, and undisputed number one spot was Ocarina of Time. Matt, where do you put Link's Awakening against Ocarina of Time? I, I still have to rank Ocarina of Time higher. Um, not only for just my general love of top of, of 3D Zeldas. Um, and I try to, I always try to look at the games. And this is one of the things that we've talked about a lot is when we rank Zelda games, we have to rank them against other Zelda games on their own merits as a game. <laughs> like, but it's, it's so hard to differentiate or, or to separate Ocarina of Time from what it did for gaming in general. Um, so for that reason, Ocarina of Time was, in my opinion, the undisputed number one here. But even if you remove what it did for gaming in general, um, I would say that Ocarina of Time, had the dungeons were almost as solid across the board. The combat was much more satisfying. The just the the technological achievements that Ocarina of Time had were, were better. The items were better and more balanced. Um like I, th- I, I think that Ocarina of Time is, is just a better game, and, and not to say that Link's Awakening isn't a fantastic game. Um, I, I think Ocarina of Time is a little is better. Yeah. Um. I really thought about this long and hard. It was it was it, it truly like a very difficult decision for me because no two games were as formative in my early years as Link's Awakening and Ocarina of Time. Like, well, and they came out like almost back to back. Yeah, well, I, like Link's Awakening truly was like that was my that was my Zelda. My first Zelda was Link's Awakening, and that was really the first video game that I ever owned myself. And I like it holds such an incredibly special place in my heart just for that reason. Um, It will always be very important to me. And then Ocarina was the first game that I was anticipating the release of because of Link's Awakening and because of how much I loved Zelda. Um, 
Ocarina of Time. Like I, I, I was hyped for it. I was waiting for it. I uh, followed every piece of news that I could get about it. I would say that I think I said this a few episodes ago. Ocarina of Time and Link's Awakening are probably the two Zelda games that I've played the most. Um, Majora's Mask might be creeping up on Ocarina of Time. Probably not, honestly. Breath of the Wild, honestly, is probably creeping up on Ocarina of Time just by hours. Yeah, I was spent, about to say course, by hours, not yeah. by playthroughs beaten, but yeah. Yeah, because I've like sure. I've, I've beaten Breath of the Wild three times. So like, yeah. Uh, but if I'm going to have to say like if I'm going to have to judge one way or another, which one is better overall? then I think I also have to say Ocarina of Time. Yeah. And that's very, very tough for me to say. Yeah. Because the problem is that I think that Ocarina of Time has got overall more challenging dungeons and puzzles. Yeah. And it, it's a it's a more full-feeling game, and it feels very alive and, yeah. and expansive in a way that this doesn't. Mm-hmm. This is much more personal and much more... Um, concentrated and uh but i but i I think there's nothing in this is the reason this is hard for me i don't think there's any level of emotion in ocarina of time that approaches some of what happens here yeah i mean i can't i i I can't argue with that no I, i really can't um what what i will say is that ocarina of time really dials into the um the savior fantasy and with with the time travel mechanic and with a much larger map and with with a more expansive region and more to do within that region um i think you end up with i think you stated it perfectly a fuller feeling game that doesn't feel like you're taking a you know 16 by 16 square and rehashing it as many times as you possibly can. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, again, just, a, just one of the, one of the limitations of being in a 2d space is you're, you're confined to an area and with a 3d space, you have, you know, also a limited area, but you have a whole other dimension to explore that you lose within the, within the 2d space. Yeah. Um, which gives Ocarina of time that more fleshed out, overworld feel yeah that i think contributes to and really i think maybe the primary reason that it became such an icon Mm -hmm. and why it's so impactful to gaming from that point forward yeah yep no i i agree with that i yeah i'm an impact in the general like you're talking about what this game meant to gaming i think it can't be denied that ocarina of time is the more impactful of the two games. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Ocarina of Time changed everything that came after it. I think the only, I think there are maybe two other games that you could possibly say defined gaming the way that Ocarina of Time did. And one of them is Mario 64, which came out the year previous and did a lot of what Ocarina of Time did just in a Mario capacity. Like uh, Ocarina of Time takes a lot from Mario 64, but Mario 64 had a broader appeal. So I think you could make the argument that Mario 64 was as impactful to gaming as a whole, if not more so than Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, I would say probably the next most impactful game that defined gaming and a genre would probably be World of Warcraft just for defining an open world MMO. Although, I mean, I guess you could say maybe Diablo. Well, I was gonna, like, I was going to say Halo for well, defining what a shooter could be. Well, that's us. true. But, like, but yeah, I mean, so I guess we could break it down into like, you know, you have Zelda Mario 64, you've got Halo for shooters, you've got World of Warcraft for MMOs, and you've got Destiny for FPS MMOs. Like you, you could, you know, subcategorize yeah. this all the way down, right? Yeah. Into to however many places you want to go. Um, Pokemon just, for collection RPGs. Oh, for sure. And, you know, maybe a Skyrim for just single player RPGs, storytelling yeah. games. Um, like, yeah, I mean, that would actually be kind of a fun bonus episode to just kind of take a look at, you know, just take some genres to put together and just yeah. do it just like a general gaming. But, but, I, but I think taking it back to Zelda, Ocarina right. of Time, I, I do not personally believe that Ocarina of Time is the greatest video game ever made. No, I would I would not say that at all. But uh, I do. It, but it does. Show I don't up, even think it's the best it has, Zelda game ever made. No, but but it, ha- it has shown up and won on those lists before. For and, sure. And like, I understand why that is. Absolutely. Yeah, I, like, I really do. I get it. I mean, I, I still I still think my baby Breath of the Wild is both the best <laughs> Zelda game ever made and the best video game ever made. But yeah, well, you're entitled to your wrong opinions. OK, all right. Uh, but OK. But anyway, yes. All right. So there you go. There you have it. The The ranking is uh, unanimous. Ocarina of Time stands at number one and Link's Awakening uh is now our number two pick. And honestly, I feel like a lot of these first Zelda games that we're going to play are <laughs> like, it's going to be a bloodbath of just like whose sacred cows. We're <laughs> Cause our next one is skyward sword. And unless my, uh, my age has changed me overly much, that'll probably be my number one. And I know for a fact, it will be your number three. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, well, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, um, we'll see. We may have to call in a tiebreaker for that one because I what happens then? I mean, like, yeah, we'll have to like maintain our own separate lists or I don't know. Yeah, we'll probably have to just maintain our own separate lists so we can compare because I mean, the whole point is like you like things differently than I do. And like we're kind of showing both sides of the coin, right? I think we should just maintain our own separate lists. We'll figure it out. We'll so we'll yeah. cross that bridge when we come to it. At right? the end, at the end of it all, we'll have to sit down and over multiple drinks and cigars and dinner hash out an actual official Sacred Realms pod. Well, list. at some point, we'll have to sit down and have words about where Breath of the Wild falls on the list and see if we're like still related. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I look, I love Breath of the Wild. It's as a game. I do. It's so good. It's just not a good Zelda game. I um, uh, I love you even though not. you're horrible. <laughs> like I yeah. said, you're entitled to your wrong opinions and yeah. I'm entitled to my wrong opinions. Uh-huh, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, that has been the Sacred Realms recap. Of course, we'll do this all over again at the end of season three when we get done playing Skyward Sword HD, which I actually think I I planned it out. And I think that uh, I think that we're going to have less episodes of Skyward Sword HD, like one or two less episodes. But I think you and I are going to like spend more time playing the game for each episode. Yeah, because it goes back to like, I really do think we need to keep cutting it off every time we beat a dungeon 
You know? Yeah, I mean, we can't make a whole episode out of various Skyloft bullshit. Like, that's the, not that's not an episode. But the problem is that, like, again, you're basically doing an entire dungeon to get to each dungeon. Yeah. You know, so like. Which is personally my favorite thing about the game. But like, yeah, no, I gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, that's going to be that's going to be a fun and interesting balance. But like, you know, it was always going to it was always going to be a, a balancing act of trying to find ways to make this format work for each for like a variety of different Zelda games. And you know? and we may not be able to make this format work for like the NES games for Skyward Sword. I think it'll be fine for sure for link to the past. I think it'll be fine. Um, and then I think look, well, look, obviously breath of the well, wild is going to be that, its own well, that's, challenge. That's, yeah, that's going to be its that's own challenge. Problem. And I don't think we're ready to commit to this 100% just yet. Cause Matt and I still need to have a conversation, but I think right now we're thinking breath of the wild is going to come after the next top down game, which I'm sure is probably going to be a link to the almost, past, we'll almost and almost definitely going to be linked to the past for yeah, sure. But, uh, anyway, breath of the wild we're, we are talking about it. We will have a plan for that soon because we got to get that out of the way before breath, breath of the wild, wild two comes along. So yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all, that's all in the future. Then the future is bright. Let me tell you. Hey, I think it's super bright. We're going to have a whole lot of fun. We've got a lot of Zelda left to play, a lot of conversation left to have, and a lot of arguments to, uh, to air out here, uh, on the microphone. Yeah. Matt, do you have anything else you want to say about Link's Awakening or just, I, I mean, I mean, look, this this has been a bigger deal for you than for me, because I for went, sure I went into this game knowing exactly how I felt about it and knowing I was going to love every minute of it. And like and that has not changed. I will never get tired of this game for sure. Um, I I do. I do genuinely like this game. I don't know if I would say that I love this game. I I deeply desire to come to a point where I love this game because as much as I like it, I know that it like could be more impactful to me than it is. And like, I deeply desire to want to love top down Zeldas. Like I'd want to, I just don't right now. And, um, you know, I don't know what that says about me. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, some bias there. I mean, there's definitely some bias there. This is a good game. Like, when when I take a look at this from an objective standpoint, from what our job title is here as reviewers, when I look at this game objectively, this is a freaking good game. Yeah. And I fully acknowledge that. And I want to love this game the way that most of our viewers love this game. And I don't right now, but I see why they do. Keep talking. Um, I, I want to... Love all hey, top-down Zelda. What? Come here. I want to love all top-down Zelda the way that most of our viewers do. I want to. I just don't have that nostalgia factor. I don't have that history with top-down that I do for for many of you guys. But um, it's it's one of the goals and one of the reasons I signed up to be Lyndon's co-host. All right, we're we're bringing in a third party, not because we need a tiebreaker, but I'm just curious for a frequent collaborator of the show, Jackson Willoughby. Uh, if you had to say right now, Link's Awakening or Ocarina of Time? Ocarina of Time. Oh, that was, that was, that was, man, so he didn't even have why? to think about it. Why are you asking such a ridiculously dumb question? I've played Link Awa- Link's Awakening one time and I grew up with Ocarina of Time being my childhood game. That's not even fair. Come on. All right. Well, well there you go. There you go. But I 
I really do love Link's Awakening a lot. So, so don't make it sound like I don't like the game. It's a great game. Cool. I mean, fair enough. Jackson Willoughby, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Jackson. All right, I'm gonna. Okay. Do you have it settled? Yeah, we're good. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, a lot of good stuff there. Um, every time I beat this game, I'm a little sad that I beat it, and then because uh, it goes away. That's how I feel every time I beat Mass Effect or The Witcher Three. Yeah. It's like you come to the end of the journey and you know it's over. It was a good ending, except for Mass Effect Three wasn't great, but it was fine. I don't know. I personally like it. Yeah. Sidebar. Um, you come to the end of the journey and there's a bittersweet moment there, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we're feeling that a little bit. Yep. No, I agree. Well, you know what? Um, a whole new journey starts next week and it's one that you and I have been uh, so excited, excited about. So excited about for a very long time. This is just a reminder that as of the airing of this episode, we have got one week remaining until we start our coverage of Skyward Sword HD. So if you were planning to pick that up and follow along with us, now is the time. Hop into it. The beginning of the game is chonky. I mean, one of the things that Skyward Sword gets dragged for every now and again is the fact that it's got a very extended opening tutorial sequence. Um, and I I mean, the whole section of the game from when you start to when you beat the first temple is a little bit longer than we're really accustomed to. I mean, it certainly takes much, much more time to do that than it did to beat the uh, Deku Tree, for instance. Oh, for sure. Yeah, or Tail Cave. I think the the only other section, the only other intro section of the game that is equally as long, I guess you can't really count for uh, the, um, the, 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 what's the forest temple in Majora's Mask called? Oh, the wood, wood temple, woodfall, woodfall temple. I guess you can't technically call the woodfall temple the intro section. You've got the whole Deku scrub section, so never mind. But um, yeah, I was thinking. I mean, even the the intro section of Majora's Mask is really long, comparatively speaking. Sure, but I mean, talk about your games that we're going to have to split up in some kind of different way. Like we're not going to be yeah. able to tackle Majora's Mask the same way that we did. No, Ocarina we can't do four episodes of Majora's Mask. That's not going to work. No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man, that would be that would be a little much. Can you you imagine a bigger letdown than just like if if Majora's Mask only lasted four weeks? That would be so depressing. Yeah, no, I couldn't do that. Well, that's another problem for another time. Uh, Matt, do you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here? I love this game. I, I, I love this game for what it is. It was so much fun. I am so glad we played it. Um. Still a top-down Zelda, but man, am I really glad that our our listeners gave us this one to play. And also, you still owe me a cigar. I do. I do indeed. Well, guys, if you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod, and you can become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy Hylians. Or Koholintians? I don't think that that's what they're called, but we'll, we'll let it pass. Okay. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Skyward Sword from the game intro through probably Skyview Temple, but but maybe not. Maybe not. We're going to make a judgment call on that. We'll let you know. 
Anyway, um, we'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on social channels. Skyward Sword can be played in its original form on the Nintendo Wii or Wii U, or you can play the remastered version on the Nintendo Switch, which is the version that we are playing. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch you guys in Season 3. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!